to the ECE Quality Ireland podcast. I'm Celine Govern. And I'm Paula Walsh. And today we are um, talking about the topic of the appropriate age for children to start primary school. And joining us to discuss that topic today is Dee O'Toole, who we know from her fantastic Playful Classroom, um, social media stuff online and um but you do loads more than that so i'm going to let you introduce yourself md before we kick off the conversation and just tell us a bit about who you are and what you do thank you paula and thank you celine thanks for having me on i'm delighted i love a good chat um so i am a primary school teacher from county mead been teaching for almost 20 years now um and i have my own two almost grown up boys at home as well. Um, I'm currently on a career break from teaching um, because I'm studying for a PhD in literacy education with the focus on early literacy. So I have a big passion for um, early education in primary school. So I'm a big fan of the little kids, um, very interested in early literacy and beginning um, reading and also playful pedagogy a big fan of um of play so um i've talked to celine about this a lot in the past um child play for the win um and yeah i've i've thought uh, i've thought all class levels um but infants are definitely my favorite um, because you will never get the same ego boost coming out um of a class of you know 12 sweaty year olds um but the, the infants will tell you they love you and that you're yeah. beautiful and you're great and they think you have an amazing singing voice and you're a brilliant artist. You're wonderful, first. yeah. And they, they're still yeah. listening to you at that age. They're like, you know, like our yeah. own children. They still listen they're to so us. Good. But we, so we started, um, so Celine reached out uh, to you and we're, you, you were chatting with Celine earlier this week because, um, you know, Celine, you were you had some stuff up online about transitioning and age, transitioning into primary school. Yeah, and, I suppose that time of year isn't it school enrollments are happening and um, the primary schools are reaching out to us as, as service providers of preschool and asking us to share their enrollment forms and all of that kind of stuff and it it it, it um I noticed that some of our children are intend going to school in September not having done their two years of um free ECCE or otherwise known as ECI and um that surprised me um it really did surprise me it shocked me probably and i thought this is something that i want to talk about and and um and try to understand why you might do that but more than that is there an impact yeah um, in in the primary school classroom so d I mean, you're teaching 20 years, right? So 20 years ago, there was no ECI, right? So 20 years ago, I'm assuming that you would have had a selection of children and probably much more coming into you at the age of four. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And there, the, the data is out there to show us that, you know, the percentage of children that started at the age of four was much higher. Yeah. Um, so, you know, back in you know, like the late 90s, early noughties, you know, nearly half of the children would have been still four in the January of junior infants. Whereas now you're looking at less than 20% of children still being four in the January. So that's a huge difference. And when you look at the data over time, you can see that the introduction of the ECI 
um, around 2010 definitely had an yeah. impact. And then when it was expanded to two years, um, you know, there was there was even more of an impact. And and we know that, you know, the uptake on ECI is fantastic, like compared yeah, to other over countries. 97%, I think it's huge. But that's on one year. I couldn't find yeah. any data on who, how many take it up for the two yeah. years. Um, and yeah. that, I'm sure, is a very, very different figure. And just to yeah, put I it think... in context then Sorry, for anybody who's listening who mightn't be, you know, who's outside of Ireland, because we do have some listeners who are outside of Ireland, the ECI scheme we're talking about is um, children in Ireland are entitled to two free preschool years funded by the government. And uh, they they um, take those between the ages of two years and eight months and sort of five and a half before they start primary school. Um and that 97% you were talking about is our children who do the first year. But, um, you know, I suppose mm. what we're finding is, or what we were wondering, you know, is that for children who don't do the second year, what kind of impact does that have? I mean, in OECD, in, in terms of OECD countries, you know, although we're, we've gone from the majority of children being four starting primary school, they're now sort of maybe five, but mm. we're still, you know, very different to most of the other OECD countries who who have children who are six and seven starting primary. So you know, so if children aren't doing that second ECI year, then you know they're presumably or are they at some kind of a disadvantage? Or what do you notice? Or what have you observed in your when children come into you the end of August, start of September? You know, is there a difference? Can you tell for children who have done maybe one year? I know, and I, I know all children are different, but children who have done maybe one year. ECC and two like what would you expect to see there it's very noticeable in every class you can pick out the youngest child it's a very easy thing to do you won't pick out the oldest child as easily uh, unless they happen to also be the tallest mm. um, but it is a very very easy to pick out the few children who um, whose birthdays are the latest on in the year um, now certainly over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, you know, we have fewer children who who maybe turn five um, in the, you know, the April, May, June. Um, now the youngest might be turning five in March or February. Um, so there's definitely a, a, a noticeable difference there. But you still always have the youngest child in the class. There's still always going to be someone who's the youngest. Um, and there'll be a few of them, you know, who are around the same stage. And it's noticeable in terms of their their attention span, in mm. terms of their emotional regulation, mm. um, in terms of their maturity. Uh, it's nothing to do with academics. Mm. Um, now, sometimes it does impact on academics because when the children come into school, you know, they... They, they're not familiar with writing. Writing is just one example, but um, they haven't built up the motor skills to be able to hold a pencil and form letters correctly. So for a lot of kids, and very often it's the younger children, they're physically not ready for writing yet. Mm -hmm. So that can hold them back academically a little bit. Um, usually the, the older kids are more physically developed in terms of their hand strength their and um, their shoulder stability their core strength um, and those are things that parents mightn't notice or know about and um, but it's something that 
we as teachers definitely are seeing a difference in <clears throat> over the last number of years. Yeah, that's really interesting that you'd, you'd hone in on that, you know, the pre-writing skills. And I place such emphasis on this, you know, it's, I think, you know, when, when, when you're not an early year specialist or a junior infant teacher, pre-writing skills might sound like, are they using a pencil? Do you know what I mean? And it's the opposite to that. It's everything except using a pencil. So, you know, when when you're in your first year of ECCE or ECI, you know, all of these are all invitations to pay, play, the Play-Doh station, the scissors station, you know, um, the fine motor activities, the pegboard, the threading, all of that. They're invitations to play. When you're in your second year, and my worry is that there are children who might miss this if they don't do their second year. The teacher is more, the, the early years educator is more cognizant of the fact that those children really need to hone those fine motor skills and, you know, to develop those muscles in their hands and their core. I, I spoke about core muscles that you can't hold a pencil and write if you don't have a strong core. I spoke about this a year ago and people thought I'd lost the plot. You know, well, it's, it's it's a very direct link. You know, the yeah. the core strength is is a huge thing, and it's something that we would notice with a lot of children. Even just being able to sit on the chair and um, can be quite difficult if if you don't have that core strength. And then you know, COVID has an, had an impact there as well because kids missed out on going to playgrounds and you know outdoor rough and tumble and yeah. that kind of thing. So it 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 does have a huge impact. Um, if it, the strength isn't there. I mean, it's just not going to happen um, with the, the pencil control. And then they're at a disadvantage, you know, and, the, and then they're at a disadvantage. And, you know, I just I as a secondary school teacher, then I can see it on 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 the other end, you know, to have a sixth year group and to have a 19 year old and a 17 year old. And the difference is still evident there, you know, you have mm. to go and write a four page history essay. You know, the 19 year old is much more equipped to go and do that and to understand where I said you must research, et cetera. Whereas the 17 year old, those two years are are vast, mm -hmm. you know, when they get to that end. So there's still I think there is still a difference. And I think it follows it follows through. Of course, it's not it would be untrue to say that absolutely every single child who misses their second year. And I don't use the word struggle, but it's going to be at a disadvantage. But I would think I'm probably correct in saying that most would. Mm. Most, yes. It's like I say, it's very easy to pick out the youngest child, whether it's in junior infants or leave insert. It's very easy yeah. to pick out who is not as mature, who is not as um, resilient, who is not um, doesn't have the stamina uh, compared to their peers. It's it's and when you look at it in junior infants I mean these kids are five like a year or sometimes there's a year and a half of a difference that's a huge chunk of their life it's it's at that stage of life that is a huge huge chunk yeah it's, yeah it really it's is their life it's it's absolutely enormous and I don't think that we really think about it in those terms enough they think oh sure you know they're they're ready they're able but actually look at their life it's so small compared to ours you know they they've, in a year they're going to get so much more experience and, and opportunities you know within 
ECCE or even, you know, outside of school, that's going to help them develop more before they start into that formal learning. Mm. And it's then, interesting what you say about, I just want to go back to something you mentioned there, because um, you spoke at the start and you mentioned about the fine motor skills, the pre-writing and all that. So if the impact that it can have sort of academically into their, you know, those that that end of things and then you mentioned the social social and emotional sort of development and the the regulations or you know emotional regulation <clears throat> that kind of thing and that i think as well is something that probably really still affects them when they get to the other end of the end of secondary school you know being a, being prepared to go off into college and, and and or even have any idea of what you might want to do in your life you know but um or what even just what you're interested in but um, so I'm wondering, you know, like it sort of makes me ask the question. Why do we think that we're so slow here to follow suit to the other European countries? You know, is it that its parents just want to get out of the get their children out of the sort of the, the years where they might need some kind of childcare and it's money? Um, so it just works better that way. Or is it just that parents? Um, maybe don't understand the whole what the children are actually getting out of that learning through play in early years what do we think it is that's you know I think sometimes parents don't realize the difference between um, ECC and primary school you're going from a ratio of what 10 or 11 children plus aim support to yeah. a class of potentially 30 or more, there are still our classes with more than 30 um, children and one adult, mm-hmm. and it's harder to get that um, SNA support. Um, mm-hmm. I think I genuinely think sometimes the, the wider public think that, oh, but Tree, you must have a teaching assistant or you must have somebody in the room helping you. No, we don't. It is us on our own. And God love these poor children. They are used to having much more attention from an adult. And a junior infant teacher just does not have that time. No, I cannot tie your shoelaces. No, I cannot open your lunchbox. No, I cannot wipe your bottom. I can't because not only am I trying to, you know, Um, crowd control um, these you know four and five year olds I'm also trying to teach 12 subjects on top of that you know Mm. there's a lot for us to fit in and I think sometimes that gets forgotten it really is a juggling act yeah I mean I've got across my three services I've got aim support in two and I don't have it in the third but I've only got 14 children in the third so my ratio across the board, even though the legal ratio is one to 11, mine's about one to seven, but most days there's children off six. So it's generally one to six. It's like they could be your grown kids. Do you know what I mean? That You, you know, it could be your little family. Um, there's no comparison. There's no, I mean, there is no comparison. And, you know, a, a lot of the kids, and I don't know if this is um, a lockdown thing, but children are um, potty training much, much later. You know, we still have children um, who are well past four who are in nappies. We, actually, I've got children who are going to school in September who are currently in nappies. And they're going to school at the right age. You know, they've done their two years, you know. Um, so what I'm finding is that in many cases, and I think this is, a, that I have seen this since COVID, that there are a large number of children who are going into school after doing their two years 
who still require a huge amount of support, let alone the children who are only halfway through um, ECI 1, their first year. Do you know what I mean? So I'm seeing a huge difference um, across the board. So I can't imagine, Dee, what it is like to be in a classroom with 30. Well, you know, it's great crack, but it's, yeah. you know, it's no joke. Like it's full yeah. on. And the minute they leave, you just like, you just yeah. crumble. You're you just, can't, you're not fit for anything after school. Like you literally yeah. have to take naps. Um, but... Isn't that a huge difference from, let's say, a June where I would say, let me help you with your shoes to two months later, you're saying, no, I can't help you. Why aren't you wearing Velcro? You know, <laughs> that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. <laughs> Velcro, please, people. Velcro. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge and no little runner boots with laces. Oh, good Lord. No, no. <laughs> you know, and of course, and you know what I find in my schools? This is a new thing, certainly in one of them. I say it's lovely because they, they don't have that fight or flight mode at all. They come in and their shoes are off. They take off their coat. They take off their shoes. And so then you've got all these little people. It's just, it seems like something so small and we can cope with that because our, our ratios are, are, are good, you know, and then they're suddenly in junior infants and it's like, well, why can't you, you know, you, you can't make exceptions, I suppose. Everybody has to be treated the same because you've got so many. Yeah. If everyone took off their shoes, it'd be absolute carnage. Absolutely. <laughs> some kids do like especially during playtime where they have you know that bit of child-led play um some kids do just they take off their shoes because like this is my comfort time you know oh, um, yeah but I mean if the whole class did it I mean we'd have to finish playtime 20 minutes early so we could get everyone's shoes back on yeah. oh know? yeah totally and then you know we there's such huge emphasis in first year in secondary school on well-being and the reason for that is because we are recognizing that it's an issue, that well-being is not something that all children experience and feel. You know what I mean? So, and my goodness, we work so hard on it to create a situation where children are feeling accomplished and where they have a sense of, you know, I have done something really good and their well-being is increased. And we know that if your well-being is not managed and taken care of, that everything else is like Maslow's pyramid, right? That everything else you might as well forget about it. And I'm wondering if we are allowing children, if we're, if we're, I don't want to say forcing, but really that's probably what I mean. If we're progressing them too quick and not allowing them to develop at, at the stage of life that they are currently at, i.e. three and a half, four years of age, how does that or does that have an impact? I feel it does have an impact on well-being probably right through to adulthood yeah I mean I mean there is a lot of research done on you know mm. you know your birth month and how that impacts your your life and a lot of that has to come back to you know where you were in the class in school and um, because you know traditionally if you were born you know in September or October you know you had an advantage because you were always going to you weren't going to be the youngest in the class. You mightn't be the oldest, but you certainly weren't going to be the youngest. Whereas if you were born June, July, August, and you mm. went to school at four, you know, that that disadvantage is going to follow you the whole way through. Um, I haven't looked at any, that research specifically, but, you know, it is it is there. 
Um, and the other thing that's changed over time as well, you know, going back to, you know, 20, 25 years ago, where, you know, half of the children were still four um, in January junior infants. At that time, there was more opportunity to repeat a class as well. And that is pretty much unheard of now. You very rarely hear of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like within my own family, um, my brother started school at four in he was four in August. He repeated sixth class. My sister was four in April. Um, she started that September and she repeated junior infants. So two out of the three of us um repeated, but it it just doesn't happen anymore. Um, you know, there even used to be a thing of middle infants where you'd do an extra year in between infants. Yeah, sometimes in, you know, small schools where they'd have a multi-grade setting, you know, you'd just you'd spend three years in the infant room. Um, or seventh class was another thing as well that um, I remember, yes, seventh do. class up until quite recently there was a seventh class in Kells. Yeah, um I've heard of that now, yeah. Yeah. Completely unheard of now. It would be very, very, very unusual for someone to repeat a year. Um, I'd say, you know, you're talking probably way less than one percent okay yeah definitely being held back is a thing I started I was four on the 13th of September and started school on the 13th of September on my fourth birthday Mm. and I I should have repeated junior infants senior infants first you know and I ended up repeating first year and being moved schools (laughs) so I did first year in one school and then first year again in another school and it is one of my mother's biggest regrets is that she the principal of the school came over and it wasn't that they needed numbers there was a thousand kids in this school in in Dublin um but I think I was a cheeky little madam and the principal felt she'll be fine do you know what I mean but I that definitely followed me through I was in remedial remember remedial classes the whole way through and now when I think about it I'll tell you how that that stayed with me because I always felt I'm the well, I have to go to remedial. I must be really thick, you know? And that's the way you think as a child. I must be the silly one, you know? How yeah. come I can't read? And the reality is, because you were comparing me with my peers in the classroom, my reading and writing was 12 months behind, as you would expect it to be. If I had been compared with children who were my true age. I'm sure I probably would have been absolutely fine. You know what I mean? So that stayed with me. I can remember clearly having to be, having to leave the room, you know, Celine, you need to go. You know, I can remember that being something that I found unpleasant all the way through primary school, you know? Um, and it, and it, it does yeah, have a long, those things do have a long-term effect, you know, definitely. Um, and you talk about regrets. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, people will regret sending their child to school too young because they're, you know, they are at a disadvantage. Um, you don't regret waiting. Nobody regrets yeah. waiting. That would be very unusual to actually yeah. say, oh, do you know, I should have sent them a year before. Yeah. Nobody says that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's the key point. Something I'd like to ask you about before we run out of time, just given your, your you know, your social media been the playful classroom and just, and mm-hmm. I know you've had something up as well about Ashter now, which is the play-based sort of early childhood um, curriculum framework for preschool children. And it used to be applicable to junior and senior infants, but won't be any longer. So I was just looking for your, your thoughts on that and how that did, does have, did having Ashter there maybe support those children to transition in 
and will the fact that it's not as applicable you know although i know there will be more focus on play in the primary school curriculum do you think that might impact children transitioning in from early years to primary um, well, they have really emphasised in our new primary curriculum framework, they have emphasised the transition and that Aster should flow into our primary curriculum framework um, rather than the means two completely separate things. But the reality of that is quite different because one, you've got that, that pupil teacher ratio we mentioned, um, and then, you know, you've got your, you know, large gaps um, in age in the class as well. But the problem with Asher is that we never had training on it. So there was never any obligatory training. So it was interpreted in many, many different ways. If you ask one person, what is Asher? And ask someone else, you might get two completely um, different viewpoints. So it, it really should have been a focus on child-led play, but that's not always the case. Um, it can be more of a, a kind of a, a station uh, rota um, and more teacher-directed play. So really yeah we should have more child-led play in the infant classes um, and you know what if all of the kids came to junior infants aged four that's fine we could deal with that because it's a kind of a level playing field and yeah. we could have more child-led play and we could adapt to what the children need but when you have half the class who are more than ready and then you have the other half of the class who are just not emotionally there or physically there you know you've got this mismatch and 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 that's that's problematic um so yeah it, it does need to be more of a a kind of a, an easier transition but th that pupil teacher ratio is a huge mm. huge um factor um and we can't we can't ignore it you know infant teachers are really doing their best and sometimes okay. they really want more child-led play but they just mm. can't because of physical space um and crowd control issues. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be interesting to do a bit of research or maybe someone's done it already um, uh, among parents to see why those parents who don't avail of the second yeah. preschool year is, I think it's probably a childcare cost thing. Now that's for parents who are still have to work. And, yeah, I don't you know, know, Paul, because they end up then coming back to me for after school. Which, which can be expensive too. Yeah, but the ECC is only that three hours in the morning. And then if the parents working all day and they have to pay for the afternoon and it's yeah. more. So, yeah. But it would be very interesting to do a bit of research on that, wouldn't it? To yeah. see it what be is it. Because, um, you know, I think it's fairly obvious that, you know, the benefits for children are doing that second year are, are huge and, you know, and long lasting. So, you know, it's it's not that the child is the one saying, I don't want to do the preschool, second preschool year. There has to be other factors at play that, you know, are for whatever reason. Some of it, yeah, I suspect some of it might be that parents view their children being at home with them and, you know, how they're able to do their name, write their name or say their name or recognize them or read them. But they very rarely get to see them in a large classroom situation where their vulnerabilities are more exposed. Mm -hmm. And if parents don't have the insight into that, it can be difficult for them. They can have a different view of their child to the view that myself or Dee might have in the classroom. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think that's that's a huge thing. We're going to run out of time here. And I think that's probably a really good conversation for another day, isn't it? You know, absolutely. I just want to, before we go, congratulate Dee on her 25,000 followers this week on Instagram. Yes, well done. Thank Thank you. You. Yeah. But well deserved because your information is incredible. Yeah. Thanks so much. So for Thank anybody listening, like listen, that, 
<laughs> for anyone listening, um, this is, has been the ECE Quality Ireland podcast and our guest was Dio Tool from Playful Classroom. If you haven't checked her out online, if you're not one of our 25,000, well, then you better go check her out now. <laughs> go get her. <laughs> so once again, I'd just like to thank Dio Tool from Playful Classroom for joining us today. Um, if you're one of these 25,000 social media followers, feel free to follow us on the ECE Quality Ireland podcast also. And um, you can also follow myself, Paula Walsh, or Celine Govern on our respective social media channels. And between all of us, you'll find lots of really interesting stuff on um, all topics to do with early childhood education. This has been the EC Quality Ireland podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye bye.